So the readings from Mark uh, chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 13, and that's on page 1003 of the Church Bibles. And I'll just pray for us before we read. Um, Father God, I, we pray that we might come before you now with undistracted hearts. Um, Lord, please help us to hear your word and um, understand it, understand more about what it means uh, for our lives and help us to know you better, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Again, if you join us online, again, Naomi, thanks very much. Um, this morning is very simple, really. Jesus calls sinners into his kingdom. That's our theme. The aim is that we would be confident that the Son of God wants you and me in his kingdom. The payoff here is, I want you to be certain, this passage says, I want you to be certain if you've got stuff that you're ashamed of in your life, then you are Jesus's first pick for the team. If you've got stuff that you're ashamed of in your life, then you are Jesus's first pick for his team. That's the payoff here. I want you to be confident in that. Um, it's been a, seriously up and down, hasn't it? I mean, I feel like I've, I've outlasted a, what a prime minister and a monarch. Feels like I've been here forever, in a really lovely way. But one article I was looking at had the title, How Do You Bounce Back from Humiliation? With a picture of trust leaving number 10. How do you bounce back from humiliation, whether it's public or whether it's private? How do you bounce back from your shame? Um, I uh, once had an incident uh, at uh, my last church where I was tasked with doing the church weekend away quiz. I hate doing pub quizzes. I'm useless at them, which is why I need to do them all the time, because it humbles me and reminds me that I'm, I need God. But I was asked to do it, and I thought I would jazz this, jazz this whole thing up by having a video, a music video, and then I'd ask questions about the music video. All's fine and straightforward. The only problem is, is I chose a totally inappropriate music video. A totally inappropriate one. And we watched the whole thing, and at the end I thought, that was a totally inappropriate music video. It was a mistake, 
Uh, part of it was due to my sin because I hadn't uh, given enough thought and I'd gone for something I thought would make me look cool rather than what I thought would be edifying of the church. And the question is, is in that humiliation where I had to, uh, I had to, uh, sorry to the staff team, and then the next week I have to get back up in front of the church and just keep doing the kids' slots or whatever it was I was doing. How do you bounce back from these errors, mistakes and shame? Sometimes they can make us feel like we don't belong. So coming back after that Sunday was quite hard. Oh, I don't know that I really, I don't really belong here after what I've done. Now the Roman Christians to whom this was written had experience, um, <clears throat> they, they, they had experience of exactly that feeling. They were Gentiles, they weren't Jews. They'd been getting a hard time in a very, very major way from the Romans in terms of persecution. They'd obviously were sinners as well. And maybe they come to the church and they think, maybe I don't belong in the kingdom of God. It just feels too hard. I'm just too terrible. Maybe I don't belong here. I'm just not enough of a Jew. But the insight that we have here is that Jesus calls sinners into his kingdom. Which is why, whatever shame you've got, if you've got something you're ashamed of, you are Jesus' first pick for his team. And you are in the right place and at the right time gathering in his church. Jesus calls singers into his kingdom. Let's see that. Uh, last week we saw Jesus had power and authority to forgive sins. Back in 2 verse 10. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. On page 1003. Keep that page open. The power and authority to forgive sins, which this week he rubs in with a story illustrating why the Son of Man came, and it's for the same reason. So first of all, we get a bit of narrative uh, up to about verse 16, which leaves us with the why question. I'm going to show us that. And then we get Jesus' answer in verse 17, where he gives us his purpose, namely his mission. Or in other words, that he is there to call sinners into the kingdom of God. So here is the run-up to the question of why that we get in verse 16. Can you see that? Why do you eat with sinners? Here is what happens to get us to that place. Verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. It's business as usual for the Son of God from chapter 1, verse 1. He's by a lake. And we're reminded, aren't we, of the last time back in 116 where he was calling the other disciples with authority. You can look at that, 116. He sees Simon and his brother Andrew and says, come and follow me. And they do, such is his authority. There's a large crowd. Not surprising because Jesus has been healing people all over the place, left, right and centre. He's been driving out demons. You see that in 117. Uh, but also he's teaching, isn't he? He has this authority not only over sickness and demons, but also authority over teaching. Uh, 1 uh, verse 27, what does it say there? They say, look, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And the content of that teaching is back in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. But here is the surprise in verse 14 of chapter 2. As he walked along, he saw Levi, probably Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me. 
So here's Matthew sitting at the sort of duty or custom officer's desk where you're collecting money for the passage of people or goods. And it's worth having a bit of background of what you're like if you're one of these tax collectors. Under Jewish law at this time, you're not allowed to be a judge or a witness and you would have been thrown out of your synagogue because you were working with the Roman occupiers and you're also probably very dishonest in your business practices. In fact, just the touch, your touch can make a house, a whole home, unclean. And so you do not go to other people's for supper or tea or whatever. Apparently, Jewish people were encouraged not to take any money or payment of services from these guys because basically it's blood money, obtained dishonestly. And apparently it was actually taught in synagogues that lying to the tax, these tax collectors is totally fine. You do not lie to anyone, that is God's law, but they said, look, you can lie to these guys because they're basically like Nazi collaborators. You see how morally and ritually these guys are on the outside. They're a miles outside of God's people, nowhere near God's kingdom. And yet Jesus sees Levi and rather than turning away, goes over to him and says, follow me. That's the first surprise. And we see, don't we, in the suddenness of his getting up and following a little bit of, of Jesus' divine authority and power, which reminds us of when he called the previous disciples. Isn't Jesus lovely, though, for doing that? But it doesn't stop there, because we get more surprise in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The surprise is, is that tax collectors, their group were sinners, obviously, but they're the people doing the following. We get that three times. Follow me, so he followed him, and then all these tax collectors and sinners are following Jesus, aren't they? And, and they're not just following, they're actually, Jesus is with them in their house, eating with them, a sign of friendship and fellowship, and that he is with them, isn't it? And so no wonder in verse 16, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, just repeat that to rub it in because it's so shocking, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why have this close association with and calling of sinners? The assumption is, is that tax collectors, their company, their home and their table are unacceptable, that they are shameful that they're sinners ritually and morally bankrupt and should have nothing to do with this person who's claiming to be a great moral teacher and even the Son of God. So why call and eat with them? Why allow them to follow you? And behind the question is another question, isn't it? Which is, well, what about us? What about us? Maybe they were expecting Jesus to condemn the wicked and to congratulate the good. But notice that they're the only ones, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the only ones in this passage who are not doing any following, are they? They're not doing any following. But they're hoping that Jesus maybe is there instead not to be followed, but that he would come and maybe approve of their way of life and give them a pat on the back. And that would be understandable. I would expect that because if you were building a kingdom, the tax collectors and sinners are the last people that you would want to be in your kingdom if you wanted it to be a success. The people you want are the teachers of the law who bring illumination and they know things. And they're not bad people. 
The Pharisees were good people. They cared for the poor. They did the shoebox appeal. They went out and they laboured telling people about God and how great he was. They were good people. They would be the first in line for me to pick if I was going to build a kingdom. But what does Jesus do? Jesus picks the Tyrannosaurus Rex for the bowling team, doesn't he? Why does the Tyrannosaurus Rex always get picked last for the bowling team? And here he is picking the worst, the outsider, the shameful, the unacceptable to be part of his kingdom. Why is that? And here is the answer to that question. If you've got the why and you've got the shock, here is the answer from Jesus. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, he answers with his purpose. His mission from God the Father, that's where he's come from, is to call sinners. And the example here that we're given with is, it's like the purpose of a doctor is to heal the sick. Now often, the healthy are repelled and avoid the sick like the plague. That's why we say that. But doctors are different, aren't they? Their approach is different because they have a different purpose. They are drawn to the sick. And they're there to heal, to sort the problem out, aren't they? And so a doctor who never sees a sick person is not doing their job, are they? So this saying here is an explanation of Jesus' outreach to the shameful. It's not a suggestion that there are some who aren't sick and who aren't needing a doctor. But isn't, can we see from that how lovely Jesus is? Can you see that? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I, occasionally I've seen my kids going to the person who's on the outside, who's being bullied, and they love that child. The, and they're going to get a hard time for it. And when you see that, I just a warm glow of love and pride. Well, you know, when you see the footballers coming out on the pitch with the handicapped child who's never, ever going to be a premiership footballer, and they spend the time not just to hold the hand, but they actually chat to them. And your just heart warms with that, doesn't it? Here is Jesus, as we see him call Levi and eat with sinners. Isn't that just thrilly that we've got a God who goes for the least and the shameful and the outside? The teachers of the law came to enlighten and disdain, but Jesus comes to redeem and to rescue and to call in. Calvin uh, is a theologian and he writes on this. This episode about Levi here is so that he might be an example of Christ's undeserved goodness and might show in his person that the calling of all of us depends not on the merits of our own righteousness, but on his pure kindness. Jesus loves us because we are unlovely, not despite it. So can you see that your sin doesn't repel Jesus? It is offensive to him, but it doesn't repel him, it draws him to you. It is the very reason he draws you into his kingdom. And so what do we do? Oh, I've lost my page here. What do we do with that? Jesus has the power and authority to call sinners into the kingdom of God. That's his purpose. 
And I want you to just, to just to sit on this for a bit longer and see the scandal of God's grace here. Because the scandal is, is that there is no mention here of repentance, is there? Did you notice that? It's just not there. There's no mentions of reformed way of life, is there? There's nothing like that. The only qualification they have for Jesus being there is the fact that he loves them and wants to call sinners into his kingdom. He doesn't wait until they're perfect or they've decided to make a change or that they've started making a change. He just goes to them and calls them. He's not interested in your good. Jesus is drawn to you by your bad. Can you feel the scandal of grace? Can you feel that? It's just love and acceptance by the Son of God. So if you're an A&E uh, and you're injured and you're sick, then you're in the right place, aren't you? With the right people who are going to call you straight in. And the, almost the worse the injury, the quicker you're going to get called in, right? It would be totally weird if you were stood outside A&E with COVID or a leg hanging off or something and you thought, I'm too sick for A&E. That would be weird, wouldn't it? They're the only people with the power and authority to fix it. Similarly, it, I'm a doctor and I only treat those who are well, I'm afraid. That would be totally weird, wouldn't it? This sickness is a little bit gross. I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. That would be weird. Rather than being the only person with the power and authority to fix it. I said, that is what we've got in Jesus here, isn't it? is it would just be so weird for us not to come to him having been called by him into his kingdom. It would be weird for him not to be calling sinners because he's come to preach that good news that the kingdom has come near. So what does this text drive to us, drive us to do? What's the opportunity that we have? Well, I think in this text you've got two different types of people and one call. Two different people, one call. The first type is the teachers of the law and the joke's on them. Make sure the joke is not on you. The joke is on them because they made two mistakes. Number one, they do not understand why Jesus came, do they? Why? They don't get that Jesus is here to call sinners into the kingdom of heaven. Don't make that mistake. Jesus is here not to condemn, but to call you as a sinner into his kingdom. But the second mistake they make is they are willfully blind to their own sin, whilst very politely, but very obviously and proudly despising others for their failures. Jesus says he's not come to call righteous people, and that's ironic in this situation, because it's an empty class. If you were to fill a room with all the righteous people in the world, and you open that door, there would be no one behind it except Jesus. It's an empty class. They think they're in there, but they're not. Because we read it, don't we, in Romans, that no one is righteous, not even one. And so the irony is, if you're blind to your own sin, if you're not owning it, then you have no need of Jesus, do you? But in the end, the joke's on you, because it turns out that no one is righteous, not even one. And most of all, that means you miss out on being called to be with Jesus, eating face to face with the Son of God, living forever escaping judgment of others and the judgment that we deserve from God. You miss out. So this is a warning. Being a good person or pretending to be a good person is life-threatening. Be humbled by sin. Be overjoyed that Jesus has come to call you in your shame and guilt. Be sorry. 
repent and follow Jesus. You can do that just by praying. I'm sorry, Lord. Please help me to follow you. Thank you for giving me. That's the first type of person. The second type of person, the sinners and the tax collectors, they're the outsiders and the outcasts. They're very aware that they're not good enough. If they come to church, they would be at the back out there thinking, I don't really belong here because of my sin. Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe you come to church and you sort of think, you hear the voice of the devil that highlights all your weakness, all your neediness, all the difficulty you've had in the week, your difference from other people, and maybe, you know, your sinful desires. Because he loves to isolate us and not make us come here. But you tell him, no, my sin and my mess is the very reason I should be in church. Because I'm called into the kingdom of God for the very reason of my sin. That's why Jesus called me. This is my place. This is my people. And this is my Lord. You can have confidence that the Son of God wants you on his team in here. Two types of people, one call. The call here is follow, isn't it? Jesus says, follow me. And then these guys, they follow Now, follow is only ever used in Mark's gospel in relation to the disciples. It's never used in relation to his enemies, and it's almost synonymous with faith. But what do we note about this word is that it is an act in response to a call. Here is Jesus calling, come and follow me. And so will we act on that? Don't remain in sin, but put it down and leave it. Because Jesus here, following Jesus, means a radical change. Just like Levi, he gets up and he just leaves everything behind. The expectation of becoming a Christian and remaining one is to expect that your life, your way of life will be challenged. And it will change. So in your home groups, do you turn up expecting to be with other sinners? Or trying to hide it? Do you expect every time you open God's word and hear Jesus speak to you to be called to change? Or do you expect, like the teachers of the law, to open it up and have those words affirm you and say, well done, you're doing just right? I think when we're doing this, we we want to expect that this is going to be challenging. We're going to read stuff in the Bible all the time that is going to be, come and follow me, because you are a sinner and therefore we're not right. And so I, Edward, and you, we need to follow Jesus and make a change, don't we? That call also filters through to even our coffee time. Do we stand there pretending that we're okay, projecting that we're actually, we're kind of good enough? Or can we just accept that we are actually all sinners? That's why we're here, because Jesus has called us. Uh, So can we be open with care, but can we be open with one another? Can we say to each other, please pray for me to follow Jesus in... I don't know, my patience or my anger. And what aspect of your character is Jesus working on? What can I pray for you? Because we're both sinners called by Jesus and we're trying to follow him, aren't we? That'd be great, wouldn't it? That's the vision that we can have here for church family. What should we look like together as the world looks in? Someone once said to me, actually, that church is like a battleship, not a cruise ship. That's kind of right when we're battling sin, but the reality is we're not a battleship, we're a hospital ship. We're a hospital ship, not a cruise ship. Everyone here is here because of our sin, and so we're a hospital ship. Jesus calls us onto his team because we need him for forgiveness 
and we need him to heal us, and we need him to do all the fighting in that battleship way for us. Do we like being a hospital ship? I can tell you the world on the outside will love it. The world as it labours under the teachers of the law and the Pharisees' burdens to be good enough and to be strong enough. How exhausting was that? To come to a place where actually you don't have to do that. We're all sinners here and we're all working it out. Isn't that a lovely, lovely image? Why don't we pray that we would be that hospital ship, not a cruise ship. Lord God, we praise you that your death on the cross has paid for every failure that is to come and that has been. And Lord, I pray that you would give us such confidence when we do trip and we do fall, when we are conscious of our shame and our guilt. Our Lord, that we would love to come here and be with other sinners. That we would love to draw in other people out there in the world, Lord, who, who are conscious of their shame and their lack Uh, who needs so much this great physician that is Jesus to heal and to do up. Lord, bless us with an ability to call one another with tears and humility to follow Jesus and to do so with great joy to his banquet in heaven forever and ever. Amen. Amen.